Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With their new Epic Speed Driver, Callaway is framing the future of speed. Using a jailbreak speed frame structure that connects the sole and crown, they've reduced the head's twisting and deformation at impact. This means more energy stays in the driver face and transfers to the ball. More energy to the ball means more ball speed. Who doesn't want more ball speed? Jailbreak Speed Frame is in the forgiving Epic Max, the Epic Speed, and the tour preferred Epic Max LS. Explore Epic Drivers at CallawayGolf.ca. Carbon capture, the name for the process of burying CO2 emissions underground, sounds like it would be good for the environment, but not everyone thinks so. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I engaged in a spirited discussion with Seamus O'Regan, Canada's Minister of Natural Resources. I wanted to know, as I've been hearing from sources, if the government intends to pay for what may be a multi-billion dollar carbon capture project in Alberta that would help the oil sands reduce the emissions that are released into the atmosphere when they're producing oil. In July, about 500 organizations wrote a letter to a Reagan and other ministers saying that if the government were to fund such a project, it would essentially offset the carbon tax, which was supposed to make it more expensive to produce oil. They argued that funding carbon capture would actually make oil sands more competitive, which would lead them to produce more oil, which would create greater emissions. I wondered if the federal government, which fought so hard for a carbon tax, would turn around and enact a policy that would cancel it out and whether this would be a cost-effective way to limit climate change. I pressed O'Regan on this, and he pressed back. And towards the end of the interview, when I was about to hang up the phone, I think we had a breakthrough of sorts, and the conversation's pace and tone changes and flows more easily. As always, this interview was edited lightly for clarity and brevity. Well, Minister O'Regan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Gabe. I wanted to ask you about decarbonization of the oil sands. 500 organizations from Ben and Jerry's to many environmental groups recently wrote a letter to you and other federal liberal ministers stating that the government shouldn't sink taxpayers' money into carbon capture projects for oil sands projects because this will only delay the transition away from fossil fuels and actually increase oil production and emissions. But your government has indicated you support using taxpayer money to help the oil sands decarbonize, although you haven't said whether you're going to or how much. But can you just explain your position on this? Firstly, the position for us on decarbonization, we will lower emissions wherever and whenever we can find them. And where we can make investments, working with industry, working with other governments, where we can substantially lower emissions, we will make those investments. Having said that, I got to say, the market is moving. And I don't have faith in much, but I have great faith in the ability of the marketplace to not only recognize change, but to accelerate it. And I think that what we have seen since the pandemic has been, frankly, at some points, I think all inspiring for those who are interested in, in decarbonization and in those people who are interested in lowering emissions and you know, in our battle to combat climate change. 
you know, it's 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 uh, if you look at May 26th, I mean, it was a seminal day. Uh, you saw ExxonMobil, you know, a base, basically a coup d'etat of its board of directors with three or four of the of the biggest uh, public pension funds in the United States saying you need to do a lot more on lowering your emissions. Otherwise, you are no longer a good long term investment. Same with Shell. Same with Chevron. It all happened on the same day. The market is moving. The market is moving very fast. And uh, and I'm you know I'm seeing I'm seeing our industries respond to that too. They will do it because their investors are demanding it. They will do it because their customers are demanding it. So when it comes to the government paying for carbon capture for the oil sands, analysts said this really wouldn't make a dent in the fight against climate change because 80% of the emissions from oil happen when you burn it. In other words, at the end of a tailpipe. But carbon capture would limit the emissions from operations, aka the mining and the refining of the oil. But it would cost billions of dollars, and it would also cancel out the point of the carbon tax, they said, which is supposed to be a market-based mechanism to make producing oil more expensive so that oil gets phased out. Instead, if taxpayers fund carbon capture for oil sands, it'll actually make oil sands more competitive so they can produce more oil, which is where all the emissions come from. I'm wondering if if there's not a cheaper, more effective way than two regulations that seem to be in blatant tension with each other. Well, I think that we have to keep a very close eye on what the end goal is here. The end goal is not to shut down the fossil fuel industry. The end goal is singularly to lower emissions. Where we can make investments in, in you know, burgeoning technologies. And I should also point out that technologies that are in play in other jurisdictions. I mean, Norway's been doing CCUS offshore. Uh, the Americans have been doing CCUS. I mean, CCUS is happening. It's just a matter of, you know, finding technologies that make it more efficient. We make investments on technology and, and efficiencies all the time where, you know, it works across platforms. Let me also point out the CCUS, this is not just intended for a decarbonization of oil in this country. You know, looking at the oil patch and, you know, looking here at my home province uh, with the offshore here and, and, and the possible sequestration of carbon offshore, much as they do in Norway. You know, it's, it's also about cement plants, for instance, and the amount of carbon that's emitted from them. Where can we use CCUS there? Look, it is not going to be like the government's paying for all CCUS or paying for this entire ass on decarbonizing the industry. I mean, that frankly isn't how Canada runs anyway. Well, look, it's, it's a bit, it's going to be a little bit of everything. There's going to be no panacea on this. CCUS is no panacea when it comes to decarbonization. It's going to be a whole bunch of things. I mean, you know, and I, I talk about a whole bunch of different solutions. And in this instance, it's going to be a combination of carrots and sticks. So this is a pivot because climate change is a huge topic and your government has set ambitious policies and targets that we're going to reach net zero emissions by 2050. And just this June, Canada said we want all new vehicles and light duty trucks sold in Canada to be zero emissions by 2035. The cost of these sort of climate change, as you just alluded to, seem daunting. The oil sands companies have said they expect us to put up two thirds of the 75 billion that's going to cost for them to decarbonize. Plus, we have to install EV infrastructure. I mean, are you concerned that financing all of this is realistic? I think we have one of the more elegant solutions, as I said, that other jurisdictions wish they wish they had, and that is a price on pollution. And I, you know, even when I when I do meetings with the International Energy Agency and the G20 and all these other groups. I mean, I, you know, John Kerry's looked at me in meetings and said, gosh, you guys have a price on pollution. We've had guests come on the show and said that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is the most elegant market solution. It is, you know, other other parties and other platforms can dance around it, but it's elegant. Which is why analysts I talked to said it made no sense when the oil sands industry and you talk to them and they say, yeah, our first project up is a $2 billion carbon capture trunk line 
And we expect the government to foot two thirds of that. And I know that we have about eight billion in a net zero strategic innovation fund that is supposed to help industry decarbonize, but that's not a lot of money. And that's a huge chunk, which would essentially work against the carbon tax for the oil sands industry. It's like I said before, Gabe, where we can incent cross-platform investments in technology and new technologies, absolutely, we will do that. But the whole idea is to incent the implementation of those technologies. And, you know, I'm telling you, the most elegant way to go about it is quite simply a price on pollution. And there are so many other jurisdictions that wish that we have what we have. It is the most market-friendly, most dependable, and most transparent way to go about this. You can you can try and, you know, I've seen others, you know, notably the conservative party, just kind of run ring, run rings around this, trying to figure out how to get to the same place. Like, I'm telling you, this is the most, this is the simplest, easiest, most transparent way. It is the most, it is also the most predictable way for those people who are making investments. You know what the price is, you know where it's going to go, you can plan accordingly. It's the most market-friendly solution. And, and then, you know, what comes from that, it's going to be a whole bunch of things working together. As I said, this is carrots and sticks, carrots and sticks. So just to play it out, though, and this is maybe the last question for you, but then what people have pointed out to me is that 80% of the emissions won't be covered by carbon capture. They come from burning the oil. We export most of our oil outside the country. Is it fair, am I reading this right, that Canada is sort of first and foremost concerned about curbing emissions within Canada, but that we don't necessarily take responsibility for the emissions that the policies may create outside of the country? No, look, governments, I mean, let's be frank. I mean, we say we export it. We almost exclusively, certainly for the oil patch, almost exclusively export it to the United States. Although although our oil imports in the rest of the country are down to a record, record low. You know, we're also selling a lot within the country, which is also good. For the offshore here in Newfoundland, because we are actually positioned in tidewater, we get Brent crude and, you know, you, you saddle up and, you know, those who pay the highest price win. So we're in a, a slight, we are in a more competitive position here in my neck of the woods. Um, the, bot- the bottom line is, like, we sell to customers. Like, oil is not something that we just, is just sold to governments or is just sold. It's sold to customers. And I do adhere to, to the axiom that, you know, the customer is always right. Chiefly, our customers in the United States are changing. Uh, because they are also feeling investor market pressure, customer, consumer pressure to lower their emissions. So, you know, they are making those demands on the marketplace. Like they are making those demands on the oil patch. They are making those demands here in Newfoundland and Saskatchewan and Alberta. Um, and we got to react. It's, it's as simple as that. Now, you do have, you know, we do have a much more ambitious government that in turn is incenting and investing in lowering emissions as well. And you have a greater, uh, I think, a growing public consciousness of it. I mean, demographically, things are changing, too. Younger people are more in tune with this. When I was putting money into my RSPs when I was in my 20s, you know, I wanted to put it all in green funds. And my broker looked at me with a smile and said, Seamus, uh, do you want to save the world or do you want to make money? And, you know, now those high-performance funds are often green. And those are changing the marketplace in a fundamental way. So, you know, this whole argument of, oh, the federal government is out to get this or out to get that, I am telling you, investors are changing, consumers are changing, and you got to get with that. Like I do, I for one do believe in the marketplace, and I do believe in our. The, the, the question is, how quick are we going to be able to respond? Um, how quick are we able to decarbonize to meet the demands of those customers? Um, that is where government has to be nimble, and then you know that is where we have to make sure that we look after the economy of this country. We are the fourth biggest oil producer in the world, but we have got to get this right. It is incumbent upon the economy of this country, across this country, 
that we get this right. It is a huge feat. It is a huge task. It is a huge challenge. But, you know, I like I say, here in Newfoundland, I look out my office window. I see supply ships heading out to the rigs every day, like all the time. In Saskatchewan, in Alberta, there is proximity to the industry. So there's, it's not a surprise to any of our provinces and to people who are close to the industry that we are the fourth biggest producers of oil in the world. Bigger than Bahrain, bigger than Iraq, better, bigger than Iran, bigger, you know, bigger than Kuwait. We don't think of ourselves that way. But the challenge really, you know, from me is to, is to remind people in parts that do not have that proximity in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. Guys, this is a huge part of our economy. It is the biggest part of our economy. It is our biggest export. It is not something that is just over there that those people do out here in the in the hinterlands of the country, quote unquote, you know, but it, either out here in Newfoundland or obviously out west. This is something that affects everybody in this country, and therefore we are all invested in getting it right. It does not take away, do not get me wrong, does not take away from the urgency that is on us to make sure that we get this right, not only to combat climate change, but also to make sure that our economy functions, that we meet the demands of our customers, both nationally and internationally. So to put a bow on it, it sounds like some sort of in conclusion, like, you know, you said like government is is going to use a combination of carrots and sticks, but you you indicated it's not like, as the oil industries have suggested, that you're going to pay, you know, two thirds of the cost to build a carbon capture system for the oil sands or something like that. That you may invest in technology here and there, but but it's not going to be that sort of heavy bill that's sort of being put out there that would cancel out or offset the effects of the carbon tax, which you praised. And we will incent, I think is the big thing, Gabe. We've committed to that in the budget, right? We will be incenting on CCUS. We want them to make the investments. We want the private sector to make the investments. One of the tools, you know, significant tools in, in the government's toolbox is that we can incent that through the tax system. And, and instead of like trying to come up with this ourselves, we want them to come up with these technologies uh, and we want them to implement and invest in them, frankly, because it's good for their bottom line. And what I'm what I'm saying is that this industry is so big within the national economy that, frankly, you know, when they do that, when they decarbonize, it is not just good for the planet um, and good for Canadians. It, it's good for the economy. That is look, we got to skate to where the puck is going. In fact, we're actually at the point now where I'd say we got to skate to where the puck is like you know, it, it has changed considerably over the past year and a half. It's really, really something. And the market is moving. We got to keep up. In fact, more than that, we got to lead. We have an opportunity to do that. How do you balance the sort of, I had the, I spoke to someone who was from the oil sense company said, listen, like, yeah, you might be right. If, if they do pay for this carbon capture, it will lead to more oil production, which could create more emissions. But what he said to me was, that government always looks at things through the lens of jobs and climate emissions. And given, like you said, the urgency, how do you balance these two competing priorities? Well, you know, on the jobs front, I would say, and, and we've been working hard on this. I just announced, I think, well, last week, uh, the beginnings of consultations on just transition, which is a phrase, frankly, I don't like, but it's kind of part of the international vernacular in this space, just transition. I mean, really what it is, is it, it, it's, it's about, again, meeting market demand. You know, as, as we get into CCUS, as we get into hydrogen, which I think is a huge play for us as a country, and CCUS is a big part of that because it ha it's how we will achieve blue hydrogen which again will have minimal emissions um, and, and, and allow us to achieve our targets, but working with not only the infrastructure, particularly out West in Alberta and Saskatchewan, the present infrastructure that exists, but also the people. Like, you know, I often say, who the heck do you think is gonna lower emissions? It's gonna be the people who are in 
the industry currently. And that was really our thinking behind Orphan and Inactive Wells last year. Uh, you know, $1.7 billion for Orphan and Inactive Wells in Saskatchewan and Alberta and, and also in British Columbia. It was to keep, you know, in a, in a time of, of great tumult in the industry, it was to keep people in play. We can't afford to lose these people. They're talented people who have built that industry through ingenuity and hard work and grit. And we got to keep them in play because these opportunities, I really believe in CCUS and in hydrogen are much closer than we think that they are. But in the meantime, I don't want people who are laid off to leave the industry or leave Canada or leave their present jurisdictions. I need them in play. And I see that all the time out here. I mean, people who work in the industry are my friends and my neighbors. And and out here in Newfoundland, you know, the president of ExxonMobil told me, uh, there is no harsher environment that ExxonMobil operates in in the world than the Newfoundland offshore. But within a generation, we've managed to build it. And the technology and the expertise that we built up here is sought after around the world. So I need these people now to lower emissions. Nobody else is up to the task. And so, you know, that's that's where they need. You know, I, I've said on Just Transition, this isn't an act of charity. We need them. We need them urgently. And these opportunities now are arising. You know, you're seeing these same companies that we've been talking about, talking not only about CCUS, but talking about hydrogen as well. Things are moving, I'm telling you. But none of this can happen unless we have the people in place. The good news is we've got incredibly talented people who have built this industry in this country. Yeah. You know, I I, uh, I think it's hard. I mean, I was trying to sort of press you on these issues because when I go out there and do reporting, these two policies do seem to be in conflict. It does seem like we have scarce resources. I know that you always have to look at jobs, too, that it's not just about climate emissions, but it does seem like this is one of the most gnarly problems of, of my lifetime. I've seen the most evolution on sort of attitudes towards this and, you know, about 20 years of reporting than about any other issue I've had to face. So, And Gabe, my biggest challenge and the one that I was intent on achieving was just wherever I could just kind of get rid of the emotion around this issue, because it's just too important for us to be shouting and screaming among one another about it. And so diffusing it politically where I can, uh, I'm trying to do because, you know, first of all, workers out there, there's so much anxiety with so much change. Having the pandemic happen at the same time as, the, you know, the oil crash and having oil, the price of oil in this country go to, to negative 35 really shook people. And so we just got to first of all, we're going to make sure that people understand we got their backs. But secondly, just for the future of the country, like you cannot transform an economy by pulling the rug out from underneath it. People have to really, really absorb the fact that we are the fourth biggest producers of oil and natural gas in the world. Whether you like it or not, whether you are proud of it or not, I do not care. If you are a Newfoundlander like I am, and you're on an island in the middle of the North Atlantic, you have no alternative than to be practical and accept the facts as they are. And then the full weight of that challenge, you feel it, you understand it, yeah. Listen, I really thank you for coming on the show. And I understand that. And, you know, yeah, I get what you're saying about sort of we're the fourth biggest producers. You can't just yank out a piece of the economy overnight and expect things to be hunky dory. And it is not just like an Alberta thing or Saskatchewan thing or Newfoundland or Labrador thing. It is right across this country. It is so significant. So just accept that. I don't care if you like it or not. You got to accept it and then move on. And then and then together we got to we got to deal with it. And And that's kind of where we are. So it's not bumper sticker politics, that's for sure. Nobody knows that better than me. And that's why I'm just thankful for a long form interview like this, because it takes time to explain it. It's not like no oil or love oil. It's complicated. But, you know, I, I just I, I'm more hopeful on it now, believe it or not, two years later than I was, because I think that there are more and more people who are getting it because the market has changed, because the investment climate has changed. 
And I think a big one, too, is just uh, our American neighbors have done a 180. And uh, that's big. You know, the prime minister says when he was dealing with Trump and they do the communiques, you know, before before their meetings, that they would just extricate the words climate and change out of every communique. But now Biden is like, no, 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 we want climate change in the headline in a 28 point font. And that's a huge difference. Again, 98 percent of our oil goes to them. You got to listen. You got to listen. And also, if I could just add, and I'll let you go, but also, like we, we did the clean fuel standard. The first refineries to adhere to the clean fuel standard, to fine tune their refineries, to adhere to that clean fuel standard, weren't Canadian. They were American. Like they move. They move. They're aggressive. So, like, we got to move. <laughs> they, will, they will meet the demand for us. That's why we got to take it seriously. Yeah. Well, climate change is moving too, right? I mean, we saw that heat dome sweep over BC and the town with the hottest record burnt up. And as my last guest said, that's sort of a almost an allegory. People are getting it now. Like, they get it. This isn't contrived. This isn't exaggerated. This is real. We got to do it. Yeah, it's good to talk with you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate it. Have a good day. That was Seamus O'Regan, the Federal Minister of Natural Resources, calling from Newfoundland. Thanks for tuning in this week and for your support, rating us on podcast apps and sharing episodes with friends. And thanks to Bryce Hall for music and production, Yadula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven for web support. I hope you're having a great summer. I'll be back next week with another episode of Down to Business. And until then, you can find all your news on financialpost.com or in any one of the Financial Post's five weekly newsletters, which cover energy, the economy, investing, the workplace, and finance.